our memories are so short. We're back in that position now where people are basically, a lot of people are saying, buy quickly, buy a house because it'll go up in value because real estate is a, is a, the best place to buy a house. And the reason is- Well, in real estate, it literally is the best place to buy a house. You are correct there. Yeah. It's the best place to invest in anything <laughs> as well. Yeah. Once more under the breach, dear friends. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Together, we are bald. And we have learned through diligent effort and long practice to say our last names together. Yes, occasionally. Uh, when we are in top form, we can, in unison, say our names together. Yes. Yes. Which is a lot more difficult than you might think it is because we're in different places and there is a significant lag between one and the other. Yes. If you've ever watched, uh, well, everybody has, the 24-hour news channels as they talk to each other across satellite and they say, hello, Janet, please proceed. And Janet sits there and looks very intelligent as she's holding her ear gazing off into the distance for several seconds and then she talks right <clears throat> yes live is not as live as it looks or maybe it's not it's, as live as it it's not as live as it used to be and maybe it's deader live is deader than you think it is well hmm. digital digital live is different from analog live and biological live yes and we could I, somebody could probably get a government grant and write a dissertation on that what do you do for a living? I'm a radio frequency biologist. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> All right. We are actually economists, and we're here to talk to you about, get this, the economy. Yeah. We're also going to talk about some personal finance stuff, because we do a lot of that as well. Um, the two of us uh, are uh, Jeff and Jake. Uh, just so happen to also be principals at another firm or at a firm, it's not really another firm, it's kind of the firm that we're with, um, The Personal Wealth Coach, which is also the name of this radio program. Mm, it's a whole nother firm. It's a whole nother firm, yes. Right, S right. Specific to the word nother. Right. Um, Our, yes, so The Personal Wealth Coach is also an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. What Which does, does not imply in any way that the SEC approves or disapproves of anything we're doing. As a matter of fact, given the opportunity, they would disapprove. Yes, that is their job. And we're just happy that they don't disapprove of us tremendously. Right. Uh, in fact, I'm not sure that they've ever disapproved of us, which is not because they haven't approved of us, but because they haven't had enough it's, notice of us, maybe? I don't well, know. they looked hard. Yeah. Um, right. So... The SEC uh, doesn't give us some kind of brand of approval. They're just our regulator. Now, we said that we're giving investment advice as a firm. That's something that's in the best interest of the client, putting the client ahead of us by far, all that good stuff. And we can't do that on the radio because we don't know you and you're not clients. And um, all of the privacy issues and all that good stuff if you are clients. Uh, so what we do instead is education. Because we believe that if we educate people, hopefully they'll use it. It seems to have some track record and that people that know more tend 
to make better decisions. I know this is weird stuff. There's got to be a study on this too. Uh, do you have another disclosure for us? Well, the information that we provide on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Or unsaid information. We yeah, also I, you know, do yes, not... I went into my radio voice to say that. Yes. We also do not pay for this radio program. It's not a paid commercial program. It, we also don't get paid to do the program, which makes us... I don't know. Is that charity? Pro bono. Pro bono. Uh, we do advertise on the station for the program, as does the studio. They, we have all been advertising this for a long time. We've been doing this program together since 1998, and you had two years in advance of that where you were doing it on your own for an hour instead of mm -hmm. two hours. Right. So uh, we've been doing this a long time. Would you like to jump into what happened in the market this week? Because, you know, nothing major. If you look at the just the normal beginning and ending of the market, right. it looks like nothing happened. So, obviously, there was no excitement right. in the market this no, week. No big thing. Um, we follow the S&P 500. Well, we look at the Standard & Poor's 500 stock index as an indicator of what's going on in the market because, A, it's considerably more representative than 30 stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average although less well-known. Uh, and there are probably more accurate depictions of what goes on in the market, but nobody's ever heard of them, and they don't update very fast, so we leave them alone. Yes. The, the S&P 500 stock index, and this if you followed stocks, stock market during the week, you couldn't help whether you were listening or reading about it. I mean, there's no way that I think you could not notice the fact that it was rather dramatic, and it uh, moves up and down during the week. Uh, it moved up at the end of the day after the Federal Reserve uh, Conference on May 4th, or, or press conference on May 4th. It moved up dramatically. Uh, the S&P 500 went up to about 4,300. Um, and then the next morning, it fell off equally dramatically. But for the whole week, and this is, I, I must admit, when it, comes to, when it comes Friday and I start looking, the market's closed on Friday and I start looking at the numbers, the entire S&P 500 lost 0.21% for the week, which is not really a loss. Um, there were enough dividends paid during the week that if you counted the dividends, it didn't lose money during the week. It basically did nothing if you looked on Monday and you looked, on, you, you looked at the beginning of the day on Monday and you looked again at the end of the day on Friday and say, well, the market didn't do anything this week, which says a lot about how most people should monitor the stock market. The less frequently you look at it, presuming that you're invested for the long term, the less frequently you look at it, the happier you'll be. At least that's my opinion. Now, when it's going up, you may feel irrationally exuberant, but when it's going down, you may feel irrationally depressed. Anyway, the looking at the numbers up for a little longer period of time, the market and I had and we had a little slightly different number in the newsletter because I recalculated it, but. The market is technically down. The S&P 500 is down 13.97% from its high on January 4th, um, which means we're in a correction, and that should be no surprise to anyone. We're not in the bear market. Um, the many, many, many signs that indicate a bear market is either present or impending are missing. I say they indicate, historically have indicated is probably a more accurate statement. Um, 
So it's kind of interesting. The other thing that's, at least to us, fascinating, and, and I must admit that I have a certain pleasure in seeing it happen, is that um, the value side of the market is doing significantly better than the growth side of the market. Now, the difference between the two is value stocks uh, are, in this day and age, are associated with uh, Warren Buffett. Uh, they're basically companies that when you look at all the stuff they do and all the things, and if you were to buy that company without regard to stock market price or anything else, you just look at that company and say, what's it worth if we broke it up and sold it? The stock price is at or below the breakup value of the company. Those are called value companies. And people look at what the the company is actually worth if you were to, uh, in, in the real terms that we think of day to day and say that's what's driving the stock price. Then there's another set of companies that are priced on what people think they might be worth in five to 10 years. Uh, Tesla is the most obvious one at present. But there's generally a lot of tech companies that fall into that category, some of which are actually losing money, which means they're not really, in a, in a real sense, they don't have any value at all. Uh, but people think they're going to make a lot of money. Uh, so they bid the price up to astro- astronomically high. high. Those, are gross. Those are growth companies. They're, they're being valued by the market based on what we expect them to do or right. what the market expects them to do is sometimes irrationally expect them to do. A lot of the big companies, I say big companies, big names that were popular like Zoom uh, and so on last year and Zoomed to the heights and did AMD and all kinds of places, not, not AMD, but the, the, what was the movie company that went up so high anyway? The, A- AMG, yeah. AMG, AMG went up so high. Not AMG. Uh, America, yeah. I, you know, Maybe it is I, AMD. It's something. Not anyway. AMD. AMD is a chip company. It's a company that does movies. I think everybody right. else knows the, who we're and, talking about. And the game company are down well over 50% from their highs. Uh, they can crash. But you don't. the funny thing is that you don't see headlines saying, guess what? Had you invested in all these really high-flying companies, you would be crying in your beer today. I think some people are crying in their beer. Um, but it, but the value side we follow using a mid-cap value index, CRSP mid-cap value index, uh, for one year, or for one for the week, it was up 0.64%. It is down about 4.8% from its high in January. It's down 1.12 for 12 months. Uh, by the way, the S&P 500 is now down 2.58% for 12 months. Uh, so we're definitely in a correction in the way you look at it, but it ain't bad. Now, the, the, the interesting thing in the market right now is the treasury or the, the bond market. Um, the, the yield on the U S treasury note rose 7.3% to 3.143%. Now that sounds like a tremendous amount. And it is again, remembering that a year and a half ago, it was at 0.5%. That's a heck of a rise. Um, the S&P 500 bond index, which basically takes the bonds issued by the companies in the S&P 500 index, has fallen 12.39% this year. And here's where it's interesting. And if you've been following this, you probably have read about it. The death of the 60-40 portfolio, it's called in the headlines. Historically, or at least recently historically, a prudent portfolio for most investors has been 60% stocks, 40% bonds. Well, so far this year, the bonds in that portfolio, presuming we use that index, uh, would have fallen about 12.5%. And the stocks in that portfolio would have fallen about 
which meant your whole portfolio is in the dumps and the the supposed assumed uh, depended upon relationship where when stocks sold off, bonds rose and vice versa, just ain't there and it's gone. And it's been going a long time and there have been some headlines on this and we can talk about it in more detail. The, the, the 40-year bull market in bonds actually ended last summer, but it's showing it's, it's basically turning into a major bear market in bonds. It'll get there. Yeah. And just to kind of point out real quick in the reference, because this is part of the market, <clears throat> kind of a longer term perspective. Um, if you think back to the big stock market performers um, from the pandemic era, Robin Hood, uh, Netflix, um, Moderna, Zoom, Carvana, uh, Peloton, which is the exercise equipment company, Etsy, uh, Clorox, and Domino's. What's fascinating here is like PayPal, for instance, is now worth less than it was in 2019 after having about doubled during the pandemic. Netflix is worth less than it was in 2019 prior to the pandemic when uh, it's now worth about $96 billion, this is roughly. It was it capped out at $306 billion. So we're talking about a third of the price. It's worth less than it was in 2019. It has more subscribers but it's worth less. So some of this is overselling. And I think you mentioned uh, this, or you were planning on mentioning the, the, the newsletter where you talked about um, uh, the, uh, it, it, the market being seen as undervalued. Right. That's the Morningstar, actually earlier, before the market dropped a little bit, Morningstar estimated that the S&P 500 stock index representing the market was about 12%, 12.5% undervalued. That was before the market fell. So it's maybe a little more undervalued right yeah. now, which is a good good time to invest, by the way, although we're not making a recommendation to do so. Yes, we're, we don't really make a recommendation to invest or not invest on the radio program, except that what we generally tend to say is not to time it. If you, if you have money to invest and you're being diversified – just as an educational point, when you have the money to invest is generally a good time to invest if you're doing John, it long, long term. John Templeton, the best time to invest money in the market is when you have the money. Yes. Uh, because <laughs> which, which is a lot of truth in that. People try to think about timing the bottom or the top, but if you look at history, if you timed it and you jumped in right at the top of the market in 2000, it took a while to recover, but you're doing really well now. <laughs> uh, and the same is true kind of at any point long-term in history, top or bottom when you're getting in. If you're getting in for a long period of time, uh, historically, it's just been a good time to get in when you had the money. So that's kind of important and on the, the personal side. Uh, back to you at the, at the market, though, stuff. I'm taking the, sh the show away. It's perfectly all right. Um, the... I do want to mention something that obviously a lot of people have said, and that is if you hold a bond to maturity, you don't lose value. Well, yeah, you lose value. You just don't lose dollars. Uh, with inflation running as high as it is, you lose value because the dollars are worth less. And that assumes uh, that but, the, the bond matures. So there's default risk. that if And right. if somebody ever says high-yield bonds, the reason why there's a high yield is because there's a higher risk of default. They may not pay you back. 
Um, on the other hand, if you have a bond fund, it's really hard to hold it to maturity. And as a result, <laughs> and, and there's a lot, bonds are just losing value in the market today. And they're losing value in more ways than I like to count. And some people get upset about that. Anyway, the, the treasury yield curve, which is something we watch pretty carefully, is still positive. It's not intensely positive from seven, actually from seven years to 30 years. It's only a little positive. It's very positive if you count in the shorter terms. Um, but it isn't in an inverted position, which typically forecasts a recession. Uh, so that's good. Um, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil rose also. It is at $110.33 a barrel at about the close of business yesterday. Uh, and by the way, the, the price is, if you look at the price right now, it's going to be a little different because oil trades 24-7. And so we just kind of look at it at the end of the business day. Um, why is it $110 a barrel? Well, first off, we're burning a lot of oil. And if you don't think we're burning a lot of oil, just if you live in central Texas or living someplace else, go and stand on the edge of an interstate and watch it, watch the vehicles go by and you say, yep, there's a lot of oil being burned there. Yeah. Um, I, and I've got kind of report from the coast from my trip there and watching the, the petroleum cycle out there. So um, I'll let you continue this, but th this is something to look forward to later in uh, talking about the amount of wealth that's being generated in Texas for the price of oil. It hurts at the pump, but that money sticks to Texas and tends to come back into our economy. I used to think in the other previous oil booms when the prices were up that the gas pump was a transfer of wealth from regular people to Team, Bo P Team Boone Pickens, but he's no longer around, so I'm sure there's somebody out there. Right. Um, anyway, oil prices up for two reasons. One, we're using a lot of oil. But the biggest reason is the entity that produced about 7% of the oil in the world market, um, a place called Russia, uh, the Russian Federation, actually, he's basically being cut off from the, from the world market. Uh, the Europeans are getting more and more serious about not buying oil from Russia. Uh, places are getting blown up in various places in Russia, and the Russians are insisting that it's accidents that are causing it. Um, and when you have the laws of supply and demand cannot be repealed even by the president of the United States, although several have tried it. Richard Nixon tried it. Other people have tried it. And in the law of supply and demand, when you have a high supply, when you have a low supply or supply shrinking even a little bit, and you have a high demand, prices go up. And they go up until the supply says, whoops, we don't need to buy so much anymore. Or the or, or not the supply. When the demand falls off because of the higher price, then it tends to stabilize. Or when the uh, supply picks up because of the higher price. And the problem, and people have asked me this question. Why do we not have a bunch of oil being produced in the Permian Basin, places like that? Uh, I've got well, I've got an answer. We are producing. It's we are. up a lot, but it's not as up as but it was in the past at this kind of price. You can't just go out and turn on a spigot. Uh, there was a time in the history of oil when oil would just flow out of the ground if you turned the spigot on. Now you have to drill holes in the ground and you have to pump stuff in and you have to set up a lot of equipment and you have to have pipelines and you have to have trucks. All those require people and material, both of which are in short supply. So while the oil production is ramping up in the United States, it's Just, ramping up slowly. So I'll give you a, a year over a year when we talk about the Permian Basin, which is mostly in Texas. Um, 
if you uh, there's about 335 uh, rotary rigs out there. Now, rotary rigs aren't fracking rigs. So there's, we've got, there's different numbers on that, but it gives you a good number here. 335 of them in action right now. One year ago, there were 229. So you've got a, about a 50% increase in the number of rigs working right now, uh, which is a pretty good number. Oil prices have not come up um, 50%. They've come up a lot more than that. So as you said, finding somebody to work to get the rig started again, it's hard to find people to work. And people that were extremely happy to go and work in the oil and gas boom years got laid off at some point and they didn't like that. I don't, why, would you, why would people dislike getting laid off? I don't, I don't understand this. Um, I actually do understand this. It's silly that people would expect the same kind of a rush into that. We had a higher unemployment back in the boom years in the oil industry. So you could hire people anywhere and get them to go to North Dakota and live in a trailer. Uh, and by a trailer, I don't mean like a mobile home. I mean like a, a tow behind the truck teardrop ta- trailer and live out there for eight months, but get paid a lot of money. We don't have enough people to do it anymore. We don't have the people to hire. And those that would have been willing at some point, a lot of them got burned by the oil industry, and so they're not willing to go back. So it's a, it's another piece of the supply and demand. The supply of workers is down at the same time that the supply of oil is down. It compounds to high prices. This concept of where the prices are going there i i have some we have a question from john are you done with the with the market yeah all right yeah you were talking about kind of the stocks that went crazy like GameStop, uh which in 2020 was trading at four dollars a share and then it spiked up at uh what is the top there right around 325 dollars it's still at 114 dollars a share it's still high. It doesn't have any revenue. It doesn't have any earnings. It is still being bet on by people that hope that it will do something. And so there, what uh, Warren Buffett said recently, and I tend to agree, the level of pure gambling going on right now on Wall Street is at a level he's never seen before. There are a lot of people in the market that don't know what they're doing that are doing it with no research or off of somebody's tip, just like going to the horse races, rather than understanding what it is that they're buying and what it is that the thing that they're buying actually does. So um, while we're looking at places like Netflix and going, they've had a come up and they are down below what they were prior to the pandemic, um, we don't see that still in some of the overbid places. So there's still some places that are crazy overpriced. Keep that in mind as you're going out there and, and buying things. Uh, we're actually lower than the price in 2019 at the beginning of the year. The low point in 2019 for Netflix, it's below that. Uh, and that to many people should not make sense. They got way bid into the stratosphere, but the same people that bid them up, they, they didn't have a whole lot of loyalty to the place that they bought. 
and that's the other part of this, is that if you're buying something because it's going up, you're likely to sell it because it's going down. And that is the reverse of buy low, sell high. But it's what most people tend to do in the market. And it's just surprising that more people don't make less money in the market than they do because there's a lot of bad decision making. Yep. And that's why the markets are volatile and that's why they behave the way they do. Um, one of the things you mentioned this and we were leading up to the show before the show, we were talking about this. 30-year mortgage rates are averaging about five and a quarter percent right now. If you yeah. got one of those super low mortgage rates on a refinance, you should be breaking your arm, patting yourself on the back. Don't pay that thing off early unless it's just a massive pain for you to remember to pay your bill because inflation's running at you know five percent. We we kind of we kind of guesstimate what is it two point two five we use as an estimate for inflation. Yeah. Yeah, going into the future. Two and a half, two and a half, two, two and, and a half. half. We use two point we use two and a half as an average, which for several years there I was thinking, man, we have overestimated inflation dramatically, and now uh it looks like we didn't. Um and that's based on looking at history and looking at what's happened for a very, very long time in the United States economy. But if you have an interest rate on your loan that is below long term inflation. Whoever loaned you the money is paying you to have to borrow money from them. And in the, essence, when you remove inflation, it's a negative interest loan. They're paying you money. Right. You actually, your loan is shrinking at, at a pretty high rate of speed in terms of true buying power. So running out and paying it off early because you don't want to be in debt. I mean, if you really don't want to be in debt, that's fine. But you're actually spending money. You're not actually relieving yourself of anything. You're spending money because... And by the way, I've said this before, I was able to follow, because I've been in this business a long time, I was actually able to follow a guy, follow their circumstances over decades, who borrowed money to buy a house, watched them, they kept the loan, they eventually paid the loan off, but they still had a house payment. Now, why do they have a house payment? Well, because they've got insurance and they've got taxes on the house. And I'd kept records on this, and as a result, I saw that the insurance and taxes that they had to pay to, to keep their house was a larger dollar amount than the interest and principal that they had on their mortgage. Now, admittedly, inflation had reduced the value of those dollars, but over a 30-year period, I thought it was really fascinating to find out that after they paid off their house, their actual annualized house payment was higher than it was when they borrowed the money to buy the house. So paying off the house really had an interesting effect on, 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 from a financial point of view. Paying off the house early, if it makes you feel good, go for it. But you still got to make payments every year to the, the county and, and to the local government and for insurance. Now, a couple of cases, that's not true. Uh, some, some of our uh, listeners and some of our clients are disabled veterans, in which case they don't have to pay those taxes, but everybody else does. That's right. And we're running close to the end of the program. Do you have some wrap up? What do you, I mean, the reality is inflation is here right now. What do you do about it? What, I mean, what would you say as a good wrap up? We've been talking about how measurements aren't that great, but there's some reality to the fact that there's a sting at the gas pump. There's a sting at the food market. There's a food, there, there's a sting when you go online to buy something, it's more expensive than it used to be. It's more expensive than it used to be, but for most of the people, at least that we work with, they still have plenty of money. They still have plenty of savings. It's 
there's there's universal truth whether inflation is out there or not there is an absolutely universal truth and that is it's a good idea to have a good cash reserve to be able to have three to six months of money in reserve it's a good idea to be well diversified it's a good idea that if you're dependent if you're going to be or you are dependent upon your investment portfolio for your standard of living that you have a good reserve that you can call on so the mark because we eventually will have a bear market i don't think we're in one now I don't think we're going into one right now. Eventually, we will have a recession. Eventually, we will have a bear market. We're actually in good times right now. And to limit the amount of money you spend to that which you can afford. Now, I, it sounds kind of silly at this point because people can afford a lot more than they used to afford and they're still bouncing back from a time period when they weren't spending money. But it's a good time to take a long-term look at what you're doing and be prepared for the fact that bad times eventually will come. This is, we're very positive about the immediate future, but eventually we'll hit a bump and things happen unexpectedly. And that's my wrap up. Oh, the, by the way, let me simply say the economy is going like gangbusters. If you missed it earlier, uh, the market doesn't, some people in the market don't think so, but they're wrong. And I think we have a good future in front of us. Yeah. So as you said, the thing we say at any point, anywhere, make sure your savings are good. You've got enough for emergencies. If you're invested, make sure that you're diversified and then stick to it. That's, those are the big things. And that if, if you're going to get educated about investing, that's it. Choose the ones you're going to choose and stick to them in a well-diversified way. Make sure that you have a lot of savings on hand. And if you can do it, get out of debt. If it's not debt like a mortgage, so a lot of times a mortgage is a good debt to have. So that's our wrap up. We appreciate you very much, all of you listening, uh, presuming anybody actually listens. It's a big presumption. but Well, we, we, know, we, we know Ayla was listening. Yes, we appreciate you all uh, more than we can say. Thank you for listening. This has been The Personal Wealth Coach. If you would like to talk to us off the air, we have voicemail waiting on two lines, one local, one toll-free. The local number is... 254-947. 1111 or toll free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com where you can find radio programs going back lots of years. We've got podcasts wherever podcasts are available. Our newsletters on the site, you can sign up for it and read it. Um, you can contact us through the contact form or email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. Uh, we enjoy this program quite a lot because it's generally the longest period in the week that the two of us get to talk relatively uninterrupted. So thank you for sitting through our semi-private public conversation. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.